Guys, uh, I've got a really big fancy introduction, just an attention-grabbing introduction for you, okay? Here's my big fancy introduction. You guys should read your Bibles. There it is. Okay, yes, a big whoop. You guys should read your Bibles. And I'm serious about this. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because many of you read your Bibles regularly, faithfully. You've got a, a plan. And so just, just let me reinforce something to you. But if, you, if you've not gotten in the habit, I just want to encourage you guys, read your Bible. I, I've been reading through now. We're, we, I started a new Bible reading plan with a couple of buddies here from Veritas. And every day we read the same thing. And we send little notes to each other about what we're learning. We just, we just got done with... Genesis, and man, I don't even know how many times I've read through Genesis. But every day, I feel like God was just intersecting my life in a, in a unique way, and then even watching how God was intersecting my, my friends' lives, and that was spurring me on. As we, as we talked about it in the book of Matthew and Jesus' words, and I'm just saying, guys, um, if you haven't started, I, I hope that you know we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and the, the portion of Hebrews 11 that we're going to be covering this morning covers the book of Genesis. And it allowed me to think, man, maybe that will spur you on. Even to read the book of Genesis, just read a chapter a day and begin to, to read with, with more depth uh, the stories that we're just going to get a glimpse of as we turn to Hebrews chapter 11, which that's what I'm doing. If you've got your Bible, join me there in Hebrews um, chapter 11. But man, I just want you guys to get the fullness of all that God has and uh, there's a whole lot of what happens with the patriarchs that we're going to be reading about when you flip back to the original source of the book of Genesis. And now the women are going to be going in Exodus. I just started Exodus, and that's blowing my mind again. So, man, uh, get, in, get into the Word. Um, again, Hebrews chapter 11, Mark was right when he said last week, probably one of the most memorable, maybe favorite chapters for a lot of you in here that have read through your Bible, just an incredible chapter. Mark's also right that Hebrews 11.6 is one of my go-to verses. I want to even start there this morning. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must first believe that he exists, right? That's, that's the foundation of faith. You believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him, uh, Mark was also right that I often add the word earnestly seek him. That's because I memorized it first in NIV. And NIV, if you have an old NIV, it has the word earnestly seek him. Or the NAS, I think, says diligently seek him. Because the, the word there in the Greek is, is put, put a lot of effort into the seeking. It's that casual seeking, like you're desperate. You're, you're diligently, earnestly seeking him. But here's the deal, and the reason that Hebrews 11 un, unfolds the way that it does is Faith is not very easily defined. In fact, even Hebrews 11.6 isn't so much about a technical definition of it. Faith is actually easier to describe than it is to define. And so that's the reason through Hebrews 11, he does give us a, you know, a vague definition there, chapter 6, or verse 6. But then he's going to go on to just describe it because he's like, yeah, even that doesn't capture it. Let me just describe it by pointing you toward ways that faith has been exhibited. So today, it's the patriarchs. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Actually, most of the ink is spilled on Abraham. The other dudes get a single verse, right? Abraham gets most of the, the limelight today. But here's what I want you to, I think, be looking for, even as I, as I then read the text. 
Here's what I think that patriarchs are going to do to fill in this description of faith. Here's the big idea. The real question that faith asks is how preoccupied are you with your true homeland? I believe what the patriarchs are going to do to fill in this this description of faith is going to be asking us, how preoccupied are you with your true homeland? You're going to see that thread throughout this whole thing as he describes the patriarchs. They're looking forward to a homeland. See, it's like this. Once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's like God puts a supernatural homing beacon in our souls, and we have this this instinct in us that there's somewhere that we're going to be heading toward. We, we have this like homing beacon pointing us toward a place that we've never been. You know, it's kind of like maybe a, a, a migratory bird or something that hasn't even yet been to that destination, but something in them is, is hardwiring them to fly in a certain direction to a certain place. We have this, guys. Faith gives us this homing beacon pointing us to a homeland, a, a city, a country that we haven't even been to yet, but somehow we know that, that it's there and we're supposed to be heading in that direction. And the question is, are we working hard to fine-tune that homing beacon? Or are we allowing a lot of interference and stuff to, to let it get kind of out of whack, right? That homing beacon has to be kind of nurtured and fine-tuned in us. We know it's there, but that's what I think the patriarchs are going to do for us. It's going to help us to ask ourselves that question and maybe even fine-tune some things. Are we preoccupied with that destination? Okay, I want to start uh, by reading, starting in verse 8. So if you've got your Bible, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It starts the story of Abraham. By faith, Abraham... When he was called, obeyed, and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. But get this, he went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Okay, going to hit pause for a second here these first five verses, and, and this is what we're going to explore. I think the first ingredient to getting us toward that day, getting preoccupied with the homeland. Faith isn't about what's in here. Faith is about who is out there. That's what I think they're going to start with. Faith isn't so much about what I can muster up in here. Faith isn't so much getting, you know, really zeroed in. I got to strengthen my faith. I got to help my faith. No, no. Faith actually is nurtured and fine-tuned when I get preoccupied with who is out there. Okay, so let's start with looking at that, that guy, Abraham. I love the way that it describes this first act of faith that Abraham is. When he was called, obeyed, set out for a place that he was going to receive his inheritance, and he didn't even know where he was going. 
That, by the way, would be a description that Teresa could use of me every time I get in the car. You know, <laughs> I never quite know where I'm going. I don't know why. I don't have a very good homing beacon, a very internal map or whatever. But Abraham got called to go to a place he'd never even been. But I want you to understand the magnitude of this. When you're reading through Genesis or read an account like this, uh, maybe even go to the Bible map in the back of your Bible or something. But I want you to get, a, get an idea of the magnitude of this. Abraham was called to go to a place that would be the equivalent of starting in Chicago and walking to Los Angeles, okay? In fact, when you factor in the fact that he even overshot and went to Egypt and came back in, it would be a much longer journey even than that. But just in general, just imagine being told you're going to go to a place, you've never been there, and the distance, it'd be like starting in Chicago and you don't get there until you're in Los Angeles. Can you imagine so he increases the tension of that by saying, oh, yeah, he also, by the way, was looking forward to this city that he'd never thought of. Well, he was happily living in a city when God called him. He was in this ancient city called Ur. Wow, U-R, Ur. Doesn't sound like a place you'd want to go to, but it actually was. In the ancient world, it was a very modern city. Like, it had paved roads, had gardens, had palaces. There were, by, by ancient standards, guys, there were like 100,000 people living in this city of her, right on a coastland, had this huge port, so there were international travelers going through, libraries, an unbelievable ancient city. And yet, what Hebrews describes is Abraham was willing to give up all that living in a modern city with all those kind of conveniences to living like a nomad, walking, you know, and then even once he got there, there was no city, there was no anything. So he lived in tents. He lived like a nomad, right? Crazy. It'd be like, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I lived in Los Angeles and we made our trek, I didn't walk, but we ended up moving to rural Iowa. We moved up in Butler County, Iowa. Anybody here from Butler County, Iowa? Anybody? Okay, well then I'm gonna talk freely. Um, <laughs> Butler County, Iowa, guys. I moved from Los Angeles to Butler Butler County brags about the fact that it is the only county in Iowa with no stoplights. Not only the only county in Iowa with no stoplights, no four-lane roads, no movie theater, no hospital. This is on their, this is what they're bringing up. That's how rural Butler County is, okay? People used to say, oh my word, how did you handle moving to Los Angeles? I'm like, oh, moving to LA was easy. Moving to Butler County was the shock, right? That was the, that was the hard thing to get used to. What I'm saying is, imagine that times about 100. Abraham living in Ur, God says, hey, I wanna take you to a place you've never heard of it. You're gonna give up all the niceties and you're gonna go live in this you know, in a place where you're just going to have to live in tents. Okay, he goes on to talk about Sarah, which if you read the book of Genesis, would seem an unlikely person to be landing as an example of faith. <laughs> but here she is, and it's, it's glorious. Sarah, though, talks, it talks about her having their child of promise. Well, I love the way <laughs> that the author of Hebrews uses such delicate language about Sarah's age. This is kind of the way... I've learned you talk differently to men and women about their age, okay? Sarah, it says, was past the age. Isn't that delicate language? Isn't that just very, you know, polite language? Past the age. Abraham, what's it say about Abraham? As good as dead. <laughs> like, wow. Oh, gentle Sarah. 
past the age. And that old slug over there is barely got a pulse, right? He's like, as good as dead. It made me think of Princess Bride, you know. Oh, your friend is only mostly dead. Anyway, <laughs> cult favorite. But the Bible is so unvarnished. Don't you love that about the Bible? Just straight shooting. That dude is about dead. But I'm going to go ahead and shock the world by bringing children to that dude mostly dead and the woman past the age. So, okay. In this section, do you know why Abraham walked from Chicago to Los Angeles and gave up a nice condominium or whatever he lived in to live in tents? Do you know why Abraham and Sarah eventually, it was a rocky road if you read Genesis, but eventually believed that they could have not just a kid, but a vast sea of descendants? It's because God told them that that's what was going to happen, and they believed him. They believe that he exists and that he actually rewards people that believe what he says. I want you to do this. Hold your finger in Hebrews 11. Go back with me to Genesis real quick. I just want you to see the direct words from God that they got and believed it. So in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Okay, that's, that's the introduction. Genesis 12 is the introduction to the life of Abram. And the first thing that he hears is, leave everything behind. Leave your homeland, leave your friends, leave your relatives, leave everything. There's a land, oh, but I'm not going to tell you where yet. Just keep following. Just keep seeking me. I'll let you know as we get closer. And he does. Okay, flip over to chapter 15. And I want you to see just one more example. God will actually continue to help them drop some breadcrumbs on the path to keep them coming in the right direction along the way. But I'm going to jump into one of those in chapter 15. After these events, it's actually the events of Melchizedek. If you were here when we talked about Melchizedek, that is the events that had just happened in the previous chapter. So after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, afraid Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. And Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me? I'm childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham continued, look, you've not given me any offspring. So this is years after God has said, I'm going to give you offspring. He's like, ah, still hasn't happened. God, I'm getting a little nervous. Like you said, right? Look, you've given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. I underlined that, put a little exclamation mark. The word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. And then he walked him outside. This is so beautiful. His father, like taking him outside, said, hey, look at the sky. Count the stars, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And here's the key, verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. So back in Hebrews 11, why did Abram take off and just start walking to Los Angeles? Why did Abram and Sarah believe that they actually were going to have a multitude? <laughs> Here they are, childless, past the age, and yet they were going to have 
a multitude of, of descendants because God was doing something spectacular. God was doing something miraculous, and they believed, Hebrews eleven six that God exists and that he can reward those who earnestly seek him. So I just, before we keep going in the story, I just, I want you to tune into this, this idea that I think he's depositing here for us. Guys, this is not about how much faith you can muster up. This whole journey of following Christ, believing in God, is not about how much faith you can muster up. Abraham and Sarah weakened in their faith often. Read the account. They, had, they stumbled along at times. God had to kind of pick them back up and keep them going. It's not about how much faith there is in here. Don't measure faithfulness based on what you find like in you, okay? It's the object of your faith that counts. It's the faithfulness of God that's actually gonna pull you through. And, and I want you to hear that because there are ways we can really mess this stuff up. And Christians, I've met many Christians who have come to this idea of faith and really get messed up with this. Here's what I mean. Somebody will say, you know what? God knows I really need that job in Dallas. So I'm just going to believe. I'm going to muster up enough belief. If I just believe it enough, if I just imagine it up, I want that job. I need that job. So I'm going to pack up. I'm going to move to Dallas. I'm just going to assume that God's going to reward me. That's what faith is. I'm just going to shoot out there and just grab it. Or even like this story here, I don't have kids, but I really want kids. And God knows how much I want kids. In fact, God is telling me I'm going to have kids, and I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to claim it. And any thought that I wouldn't have kids, I'm just going to eliminate that out of my mind. I'm just going to believe. I'm going to muster up this strength in here and just visualize. I'm going to do all this stuff. And surely God will bless that because I believe it enough. I've got enough strength of faith in here. Here's what I'm saying. That is putting all your attention on what's in here. It's a very man-centered approach, a very, very, I've got it in here kind of approach. Maybe God will give you a new job. Maybe God will lead you to a new city. Maybe God will give you children. Here's what I'm saying, guys. You don't know that. The reason that these guys knew that God was going to give them that is because he told them that. There's a promise there. And I can tell you for sure God rewards a couple of things, absolutely. One is God rewards those who earnestly seek you, seek him. I can promise you that he will fulfill it. So now here's one question I've got for you. Are you seeking him? Or are you seeking that thing that you want to imagine he wants for you? Or are you seeking God? And by that, that really looks like something. Are you reading your Bible? Are you feeding yourself on what God is saying? Are you feeding yourself on the real promises where God is really speaking directly? Are you praying? Because if you're praying, you're going to pray the way Jesus taught you to pray. And one of that aspects is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want your will, not my will. And so you're in constant abandonment to the will of God following anything that he would say. Guys, here's what I'm saying. Faith isn't about what's in here. Strengthening, imagining it, visualizing it, whatever. Faith is about the God who makes promises and is good to his promise. Are we going to fixate on, on him? Not me and what I want and what's in here. I, I believe the patriarchs are teaching us that. Okay, I want to read the next little section here, starting in verse 13, uh, which is really kind of a commentary on the whole chapter, actually, these, these next few verses. But look, look what it says here, verse 13. These all died in faith, 
although they had not received the things that were promised. I want you to reread that. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. (laughs) And he's going to elaborate on that. They saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. You know, those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What I think this does to help us understand faith is teaches us faith grows increasingly less fascinated with the here and now. Faith grows increasingly less fascinated with the here and now. Now, if you're a grammar person, you're looking at that and saying, there's an easier way to say that. How about just less fascinated? No, increasingly less fascinated. I know it's a clumsy way to say it, but I I, want to capture. We have this increasing less fascination with the here and now as we really begin to embrace faith. Here's what this section is telling us. No one, no one in the entire chapter of faithful people, all the examples that are going to be given over these next few weeks, no one got everything they wanted. No one. This isn't the story of people that imagined it enough, believed enough, and got everything that they wanted in this earth, in the here and now, okay? And you know what? If you could interview them right now, no regrets. (laughs) All of them died still seeking, and if you ask them, they wouldn't say, yeah, see, I never got it. I never got what I wanted. No, if you were able to interview them in the city that they finally got into, they would have no regrets. It was the seeking after God that he was rewarding. They all recognized, look at the language, you guys, in those verses. They all recognized that they were foreigners. They all recognized that they were temporary residents. They all had this sense that they were seeking a homeland, a better place, even a city. It's even like Abraham himself realizing, oh, I know, I came from probably one of the coolest cities on planet Earth at that time. But he he had this gut sense, oh, there's something way better than that out there somewhere. Guys, I think the patriarchs teaches that faith does two remarkable things in this, in this way. The greatest seasons in the here and now still don't compare to what is yet to come. And conversely, the darkest moments we encounter in the here and now actually are less frightening to us. So the most exhilarating, greatest times on this here and now, planet Earth, kind of find their rightful place. And we really, people of faith really recognize, yeah, that's great. I'm enjoying this season. It still didn't compare to what's coming. And those who are just at the bottom going through a very dark place are like, you know what? This is going to end because there's actually a city that's incredible. And so it just brings us into this place of Kind of solid, peaceful contentment. People who really live out, verse 16, look at that. They now desire a better place, a heavenly one. God is not ashamed to be called their God. He's prepared a city for them. People who really exhibit, verse 16, aren't fascinated with prosperity and they're not fixated on their troubles. Either one. 
They don't get enamored with the good times and they don't get devastated by the bad times because their focus is actually on something outside of the here and now. There's a familiar passage I think really demonstrates this well. I'm going to read it for you from Philippians 4 because the Apostle Paul says it like this. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I found myself. I know how to do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, abundance or in need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Right? You remember that from Philippians? You guys know this to be true. You and I have all met wealthy people who are very content and wealthy people who are agitated and the most discontent people on the planet. Right? Simultaneously, you have met poor people who are incredibly content and poor people who are agitated in a constant state of discontentment. You have met super healthy people who are content and super healthy people who are agitated and discontent and never happy. You've also met people critically ill, maybe chronic pain, who are either seemingly content and at peace and people who have chronic pain, they're constantly agitated, constantly kicking the dirt, right? How is that possible? We've met people with children who are content and people with children who are agitated that they have children. And then there are people without children who are content and people without children who are constantly agitated. Here's what I'm saying. The circumstance actually doesn't seem to matter nearly as much. In fact, you know how I know that that is all true? Every one of those examples have been me at different seasons of life, right? I've been that guy who's on one end of the spectrum or the other and either content or agitated because it wasn't actually all about the circumstance. It's actually about I needed to get more fascinated with what God has yet to come. Not so much the present circumstance, whether great or not so great. God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. There's something beyond this here and now, like a homing beacon just pulls us forward. I want to finish this up, and then we'll have a little bit of time just to meditate on, on this whole chunk. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it has been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Guys, we don't even have time to go there. That's Genesis 22. Please, please, please read through the book of Genesis. You're going to be just wowed by that whole thing that just gets a little mention here. But it's deep. It's profound. Verse 19, he considered God to be able to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. It's a beautiful picture of Christ, a, a lamb taking the, the, in, in the place of his son. It's amazing, amazing. And now here's the rest of the patriarchs. <laughs> By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. And by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. <laughs> Here's what I think this last piece is telling us. Faith might stumble a bit, but it recovers, it resets, and it becomes resilient. If you learn anything from the patriarchs, this, this last little chunk is telling us faith might stumble, 
It might get weak. It might some, but it recovers. It resets and it becomes resilient. Listen, I just, like I said, just this last couple days ago, finished the book of Genesis. And you know what one of the resounding questions I have every time I finish the book of Genesis? How in the world did these dudes not just get smoked by God along the way? <laughs> How did they not just get written out of the story altogether along the way, right? Have you read through it? You're just like, seriously. <laughs> Jacob alone is a mystery to me, and yet here he is, right? It's... Here's the reality, guys. God patiently drew each of them step by step by step, and it wasn't about how strong their faith was. It was about how resilient God's faith was toward them. And it wasn't pretty, but step by step by step, and they actually ended up growing in faith themselves. They actually discovered faithfulness toward God because God was so patient drawing them. I remember Psalm 37. This is another one of my go-to verses. Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. God delights in the way of his children. And when he falls, he doesn't get hurled headlong because the Lord upholds him with his righteous right hand. They go along and they start stumbling or they start getting distracted and getting off the path and God just grabs them by the hand, pulls them back, dusts them off a little bit. No, this way, this way, right? Stumble around a little bit. No, 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 here, here, here. Let me pull you up by my righteous right hand. Guys, every time I stumble and I start to fall, God gets me back on the path. He gets you back on the path, and you learn something really, really important. It's actually never been you pulling this off. It's always been God, <laughs> right? Every time that he gets you back in the path, you remember, oh, yeah, actually, it's never been about my inconquerable faith. It's been about a God who is, and here's a new word for you, okay? I've got a cool word for you. I love words, you know, it's just fun to discover new ones. Indefatigable. Indefatigable. Do we have that? Yeah, look at this. Indef it doesn't mean unable to ever get fat. We wish. Indefatigable. Incapable of being tired out. Not yielding to fatigue. Untiring. You know what this passage is teaching us? God is indefatigable when it comes to us. <laughs> he doesn't get wore out. He's not tired of you. He's not going to all of a sudden have all of his energy spent, you know what, I'm done with you. Nope. God is indefatigable. <laughs> and here's what's really cool about this, and this is why it's in this chapter about, about these patriarchs. Because when God picks me up over and over, and his indefatigable uh, faithfulness toward me, something miraculous happens. My faith becomes indefatigable, right? But it's only reciprocal. It's only because it's first coming to me. His faithfulness of keeping that going all the time actually gets me to where I don't stumble quite as much anymore. And I don't get weak as much anymore because his faithfulness just keeps getting poured down into me that all of a sudden my faith becomes more resilient. My faith actually gets stronger. My trust and confidence gets bolstered more and more, but it's never based on how good I've mustered it up. It's because his faithfulness just keeps picking me up and I get able to go forward. Guys, Joseph, 
alone, you know, he gets one verse here. I mean, he's introduced to us in Genesis 30, and then from Genesis 37 on, he's the star of the show. He's the whole focus of, of the whole story. And guys, what a model of resilient faith. The dude never had a cakewalk. Every time he, he started to get, you know, a, a firm kind of heads up, man, he'd just get slammed back down again. And yet you get to the end, and there he is offering forgiveness to his brothers. All this was just resilient faith. You know Why? He was so fixated on the promises of God and realized God was doing something way bigger than his circumstances. God meant all this for good. God's pulling our, not just me, but all of us towards something in the here and now to feed you guys because there's a famine coming. But in the end, there's something even greater than this. That's why it says at the end, what, what's about those bones, that seems weird. But he's like, oh no, there's a bigger unfolding story. In fact, at some point, you guys, way after I'm dead and gone, you guys are going to make it back to the promised land. Hey, take me with you. I'm going to be dead and gone. In fact... I think Joseph would say, I'm actually going to be in a city that is so awesome, and it ain't Cairo, <laughs> okay? I'm not going to be in the coolest city in Egypt. No, no, no. I'm going to be in this incredible city, but there's going to be this unfolding story going on, and I believe that so much. Take my, take my bones. You know, make sure your great-great-grandchildren take my bones back. Let me, let me keep going with this story that's going on, right? Guys, here's the deal. I'm, I'm looking out at a whole bunch of people who are stumbling along, often weak in faith, and you're looking back at one. God is not worn out from picking you up. He's not done with you. He's not tired of you. Now, if that's a settled truth, and it is, do your part. You know what that is? Seek him. Seek him with all your heart, knowing that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Seek him with all your heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus. As soon as we escape chapter 11, get into chapter 12, that's the language he's going to use. Set your gaze, set your focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of this faith, that it seems so weak and stumbles around so much, well, he's going to be perfecting it. In fact, he's going to be doing that even while we're still in this earth, shaping it, changing it, strengthening us. So my question that I want to ask, and then we're going to go to a time of prayer, how preoccupied are you about our homeland? Where's that homing beacon? Are you, are you fine-tuning it, helping it along? Let the word of the Lord take us there, and this is going to be beautiful. We're going to go into a time of communion now, because this is the ultimate reset for the homing beacon. Oh, Jesus, you're the one who died for me. For all those weaknesses, for all those sins, you're the one who gave your life so that I could be clean, cleansed, forgiven. This, this is it. And now you wait. You're at that city. You've been building that city, preparing a place for us so that we could go meet you. Oh, Jesus, you came to secure my salvation, and now you wait to take me home. My gaze is fixed, Jesus, on you, right? So let's pray, and then we're going to take communion together. Will you, will you stand with me as we fix our gaze on Jesus in this moment? Jesus, Thank you that you are indefatigable in your faithfulness toward me. 
And I pray, God, that even now as we sing to you, as we take this bread and take this cup, let it be this just heart-stirring reminder. You are good to your promises. You told us you would come for us. That we, we weren't going to be able to solve this sin problem on our own. We, we were lost, hopeless, dead in our sins. And you made good on your promise. You came for us. You died for us. The Lamb of God to take away the sins of the whole world. That's just as sure as your promise is that you're coming for us and that there's a city waiting for us. <sighs> Strengthen our trust and your promises strengthen our belief in you. We're weak, often misguided. Let this be the reset of our souls that we desperately need. Hear us as we worship. Receive our gratitude as we take the bread and the cup. We are yours. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.